Good morning again, and glad to again see you and to be with you today. We're thankful. I'm thankful. I don't know how you are, but I'm thankful every day that I wake up and I'm feeling all right. You know, usually if you can feel a few aches and pains, then you're feeling all right. You're alive today. Isn't that interesting? Okay. I didn't know this was the Major League Baseball or the NBA or whatever it is, but I'm glad your friends are with you, Dwayne. I'm sorry I've made fun of you in the past. Bless his heart. My only question is, do we get to count cardboard cutouts as attendees today? Does that boost our attendance? Okay. (laughs) That's great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You guys are a mess. Thank you. Glad to be here. We might as well laugh a little bit now and then, shouldn't we? It's good to be here. I think we have something valuable to say because it's about you. It's something you need to think about. It's something you need to take home. It may seem like an odd passage for the time of year in a way, but I think it's important any time of year that we think about it. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 2 at verses 10 and 11 this morning for a moment because there is a message there that I think you and I need to hear and can make great application of it as we think about it. And you'll understand what I mean as as we go along with this, because I think it has real value to you, because the title of the lesson is, There is Born to You, and that's intentional emphasis on you. There is born to you, and point the fingers at ourselves. For it says in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the phrase, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Of course, that's the angelic message to the shepherds that were out watching the the fields the night, uh, the sheep in the fields by the night that Jesus was born on that occasion. Very clearly there. And now, again, that may be a passage that you're accustomed to hearing at a different time of the year, but again, it is a passage I think is valuable because of what it says there. There is born to you. I was thinking about groups, choirs, and so forth, choral groups, that as important as their ability to sing might be, As important as the quality of their voices might be, there is another person that is at least as important, and that's the accompanist. The accompanist is vitally important. And I think about one that I've known, and she was very good with the music. She seemed like she was old as the hills in the days when I was young, when I was a student in school, but she probably was younger than I am now, but uh, she couldn't, uh, I don't know, we'll, uh, we'll talk about aging another time. But she was a sweet and a wonderful lady and so good. She was a great accompanist, and whether, uh, whether she was playing the music for you or she was choosing the music for you, she was good at it. And there was an occasion where she chose a piece of music for me. I know laughter later, but she chose a piece of music for me, and when she brought it, she said, here, pick between these two. She gave me two pieces of music. I looked at one. I didn't, I didn't know one from the other, but she handed them to me, and I said, well, she said, let me play them for you. She started playing. I said, well, I like the music to this one. She said, that's the one I picked for you. I said, okay, okay. 
And so she began to play it. I began to learn the song. And pretty quickly I realized I could not properly sing the song. This was youthful days and voice was much better than it is these days. But I could not sing the song. The problem was it was in a key that did not fit my voice. In other words, it had more than one note in it. But seriously, it, was, it went way too high for me, and I could not sing the song. I would strain at the, the notes, and she said, here, here, let me just lower the key for you. Change the key, and I'll lower it about a third and so forth, and she just began to play. And I thought, not understanding playing instruments, not being able to do that, I was just amazed. And when she did, it worked well. I could hit most of the notes with a reasonable, at a reasonable level. She brought it down a third, and then it worked, and I was able to do that. It's called transposing, I believe. I want you to think of another occasion quickly, and then I'll come back to this accompanist. You think about Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other apostles, when Peter and the eleven stood up. And they began to speak, and people had gathered around because of all the hubbub, the noise that was taking place there, and they'd gathered around to see what was happening, and Peter and the others stand up and begin to speak, and the thing that amazed them, the thing that caught their attention was not just what they were saying, not just that these men were speaking, but they were hearing it in their native tongues, from Wherever they came in the world, wherever they had been living, and Jews gathered from every part of the world for feast days like this, and there were people from all these, what was it, like 16 nations. And so in their, in their various nations, they spoke in that tongue. And when they came here, and Peter and the others begin to speak, and they hear it in their own language. See, it'd be like if you were Russian, and I was speaking today, you would be hearing it in Russian, or Chinese, or whatever other language that might be that you want that you were accustomed to hearing in your home country and so they spoke and yes I understand that was a special and a miraculous event but even more it was a statement of intention it was a statement of God's intention that people be able to understand and be able to use and be able to apply it to who they were not just as a group not just a one-size-fits-all but to apply it to themselves. I think it's a statement of intention. So when that accompanist and I got to the state competition level, we went into the room where the judges were sitting there, and there I stand in front of the piano with she sitting at the piano, and the judges sitting in front of me, they nod to me and they say, go ahead, and she begins to play. And immediately I think, this is not going to be good. Of course, anybody else there would have thought the same thing. But she did not change the key. She began to play it, and I didn't know what to do. Being at a state competition, I wasn't sure what to do. I just took off trying to sing. On the first couple of lines, it got to that point at which my voice would naturally just kind of go, ah. <laughs> It was fun. She stopped. She looked at me, and she said, I'm sorry. She turned to the judges and she said, this was my fault, can we start again? And the judge nodded. He said, sure, go right ahead. She lowered the key. We took off and somehow we made it through the song. I walked away thinking, this was terrible. But at least we got it done. 
You've been in those shoes before, not that exact set of shoes. You've been in those shoes before, got it done, whatever comes, that's the way it's going to be. Well, I was fortunate, I was blessed, and that's beside the point in that regard. But that she was willing to stop and say, wait a minute, this is my fault. Let me transpose it for you so that you can use it yourself. In many ways, I think that's what God has done. But what do people want? What do they need? There has been no system of laws that has always met the needs of all people wherever they are. Laws kind of hit in the middle and try to bring everybody into that place. Most legal systems have some points of leniency, though, for special circumstances and special situations and people in that regard. In the Old Testament, you recognize not everybody offered exactly the same sacrifices because people who had more would offer more. People who had less were required less. Maybe you were offered a large animal. Other times, maybe you were just to offer a bird or something of that re- in that regard. And there were varying amounts. So it applied to where you were and what you could do and what you could bring. I know there are aspects of God's Word that are absolute, that are finite, that are fixed, and they apply to all people, but they are usable by all people in their regards. At the same time, at the same time, the Scriptures are not exactly one size fits all. Or we would all be doing the same thing every day, all the time, and everyone would be in, in exact lockstep with one another. But that's not the case. In fact, Paul addresses it at different times of different abilities and different talents and so forth. Jesus, in some of his parables, spoke a be- about people having different abilities and, and using those different abilities within that regard. There are differing talents, differing temperaments, differing specific needs. The bride and personable child does not have the same needs as an introverted or struggling child. A parent or a teacher always recognizes that and deals with children at their varying level, don't we, within our own families. What I'm telling you is God sees. God sees and knows our individual needs and He knows and sees our individual opportunities. He cares about each one of us as an individual. What I'm telling you is the Lord transposes in some very special ways. And as we look at this message some of the, to some of these unnamed shepherds, we may write it off as that was just the announcement of Jesus' birth As they were there by Bethlehem one night, there were many things, though, that I think we need to notice today, especially. Especially, I want you to notice that it is you, it is you who is standing in the present tense crosshairs of God. God is not pointing at some shepherds on a hillside with this announcement. He is pointing at you. Yes, it is not the day in which Jesus was born exactly. But we need to recognize just the same that this day He has been born to us. Not that He was born this day, but this day we need to recognize that He was born to us. So I want you to think about this passage for just a moment this morning. Think about it, if you will, and break it down so that we can gain some of the meaning from it. And you take the words and you look at it and very clearly it says, There is. 
There is born to you this day. There is. That speaks to the present tense reality. There is. It's not something that has been. It's not something that is yet to come. They had heard the promises for generations. We had heard of the prophets of old and that coming day and that great day of the Lord and things like that that were coming down the road. And for hundreds of years, they've been waiting. Hundreds of years, they've been looking. In the most recent days, they'd heard of John the Baptist. There is one coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to latch. There is another coming down the way. There is another coming. And so they had heard these promises of that. And promises, if they're not fulfilled, lose their effect. If people don't have a visible reality of a promise, the promise loses its effect. We, we begin to fade away from it. I say, well, kind of like Peter talked about, said, you keep talking about this, but things have remained unchanged from the beginning of time. Sometimes we just don't see exactly what's going on and the changes that are taking place. It's much in the way that God had to convince Moses that he was the one and that it was the time for the Israelites to leave Egypt. And even Moses had difficulty convincing the people that they needed to go with him when he went back to Egypt. On this occasion that we read right here in that time, the shepherds were told that it was happening this day. And my friends, heaven, heaven may be a future to know, but what it tells us is this Christ is ours today. This salvation is ours today. And the life is a present application. Jesus said, I've come that you might have the life. Or as Paul would write, the gift of God to us now is eternal life. There is, speaks to it, it is a present tense reality. It's not something long ago or something yet to be. It is the here and now. And he said, and it is born because there is a beginning. Life as we know it has a beginning. There were beginnings for all created things. We look at the beginning of the, book, of the books of the Bible and there is that word Genesis, which simply means in the beginning the beginning of this world, the beginning of this universe, the beginning of the creation that we know that exists around about us and even that which we cannot see and does not, we do not yet know. Consider though that this, this idea is there, that Jesus came as a baby. He was born. He was born as babies are born. His mother gave birth to him. He came as a baby, the beginning of life. He didn't have to come that way. He could have opened heaven and walked out. He could have looked as he looked as an adult man. He could have looked any way he wanted to look. He could have walked out that way, but instead he came with a beginning. He came as a child. He came as a baby being born, brought into this world because we understand beginnings. And they said, there is born to you. There is a beginning for you today, right now. And that maybe today is a beginning for you and me to recognize, for you and me to understand, for us to know and see. The beginning may be even here. While he was born 2,000 years ago, we understand that there is a beginning. And even so, even with so much history and forward-looking prophecy, we see that day of beginning. This is the day. And that's what that's what. Uh, John the Baptist was trying to say, I think about what Mark says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, isn't it? In the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It has a beginning. And so there is born, and then that two-word phrase, to you. 
there is born to you, making it a very personal matter. He's not just born over there. Okay, good. It's in the headlines. Heard about it. That's good to know. No, he is born to you. It makes it a very personal matter. You makes it individual. Yes, I understand you can be plural and it is intended as a plural, but at the same time, anytime you use the word you, it is not, it is not just a spread. It is an individual. You can say they or them or those, this people. But when you say you, it makes it very personal. It may include many others, but especially it is pointed yours. There is born to you this day in the city of David, that one who is your Savior. We may sometimes balk at the concept of, of the need of a Savior. We may run through our lives as if we've got absolute control of all things. And those who don't lean upon God may draw upon the idea that I don't need this. I'm living my life as I am. But notice what he says. This is a Savior. This is the one who pulls you out. This is the one that cares about you. It's not just a general statement. He is a Savior and He is personal. Friends, when you put on Christ, when you go into the water of baptism with sins and you come up without sins, it is as an individual. It is as an individual and an individual choice who is personally choosing to put Him on. Galatians 3 and verse 27. You put on Christ, He said, when you go into baptism. You put on Christ. It is a message that may casually roll from our lips. We say this Savior is born. Yes, I understand Jesus is the Savior, but we need to understand that even though two millennia have passed since that time, and we may become so casual about it, we cannot become casual about its value, and we cannot let the point be lost. This is not a once a year reading it is a unique personal message of power to you and to me empowering us that we as individuals, that you as an individual, that I as an individual are the one to whom he came and was born, this Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I want you to know when they tell them that, when they tell those shepherds that, and when you hear that message, this is intended to be something of joy. This is to be a message that brings joy to your life, not just making you happy. This is more than a message saying, oh, that's great. I'm happy about that. You know how it is we get those things that, that make us happy for a moment. You get that birthday card. I don't like those anymore. But you get that note that makes you happy for a little while. It's kind of like a, a note being mailed and, or emailed or posted or, or just announced that a baby has been born and somebody says oh look isn't that exciting how nice the albatrosses just had a new baby oh that's happy news okay what's next that's not joy we can be happy without joy let's say congress that congress did away with all income taxes wouldn't that be nice what a nice thought They'd find it some other way, I know. They did away with all income. they say, all right, that's good. Well, that would come close to joy because it would change your life. I want you to understand this is an announcement of special significance. This is not just to say, hey, let's celebrate. A baby has been born. Consider the angelic announcements. You don't do that just haphazardly. If you go back through Old Testament history, even slightly New Testament history, we recognize that when an angel comes to make an, make an announcement, it means something is happening here. When Mary was confronted by the angel, 
It was changing her life permanently. They almost always brought change to the lives of the people who were involved. Mary, Gideon, others through the ages. You can go down the list. It changed their lives, and that's what I'm talking about with joy. It changes your life. Joy is more than an elevated or an elated feeling for a moment. As nice as that is, it is a life-involving and life-changing aspect that brings us to a different level. Jesus found joy even in the cross. Why? You'd say, how can anyone find joy in a cross and nails being driven in, being hung up and mocked and bleeding to death in a few hours? Who can find joy in that? For the joy that was set before him, the writer of Hebrews says, he could see what it would mean. He could see what it would be. And he understood the concept of joy. He wasn't celebrating with laughter at the moment. He wasn't saying, I'm giddy and overwhelmed. But he had that powerful feeling of joy within him even as he went to the cross. What happens with joy is that fear surrenders, gives way to optimism. Think about those shepherds. First, they were fearful. Then there was optimism that brought them to curiosity and ultimately to joy when they saw him and they went and told everyone what they saw. These are tidings of great joy. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. That's it. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Like I said a while ago, we need more than just a promise. Because a promise is just a promise until it's fulfilled. The promise of a Savior has stood almost from the beginning of time from the first sin in the world. The promise of a Savior was out there. It was common. It was thought. Maybe there was a higher anticipation at the point, maybe because of John's messages, maybe because they were reaching that brink of thinking we can't take any more. That promise of a Savior was heightened at this special time. And I want you to know that even with that, When this message is brought to those shepherds, we have an advantage over the shepherds who heard that angelic message that night. You and I here today and those who are watching right there, we have an advantage over those shepherds that night because we see not just that moment, we see not just that beginning, but we see the development of it and we see two millennia of developments that have come and what has happened to the world because this one was born. Think of how the world would be if he had not come. We may not like everything that's done in the name of the Savior, but think of things that would not be if he had not come into this world. But he has come and he has come to you and me. We see the full story of his work and what he did and what was accomplished. Yes, they couldn't see, much like those who were written about in Hebrews 11, so they didn't see it. But they were given a concept so that we would not be really separate from them in that 11th chapter of Hebrews. So it comes down to this. Here's the question. What has 
What does it mean? What does it all mean? What has come to you? What is it that has come to you? You need to get hold of it. I need to get hold of it. We need to understand that what has come to us in this one who was born is a reason to believe and have optimism in everything that he has been, in everything that was in his life, and everything that he brought forward, and everything that he showed in his life, all the miracles, all the teaching, the death that he died, the resurrection that he brought, the promises, the things that he left, and the development of the beautiful body that is the church gave us a reason to believe with optimism. We can be optimistic. In a time of COVID, we can be optimistic. In a time of pandemic, we can be optimistic. No matter what's going on in the world, we can be optimistic because of Him. And we have a Savior. We have a Savior. You know what? When when you've fallen into a hole and you can't get out, You need someone to either pull you out or come down and get you. When you're out in the water and you're drowning, you need somebody to jump in and save you. When we were without strength, Paul writes in Romans 5, when we were without strength, Christ died for us. When we were without strength, he jumped in the water. He got out the shovel and he dug. He got out the rope and he pulled us out of the hole. He was the Savior. We need to understand that without him, we don't have any hope. He is our Savior. We keep looking to politics and medicine and other things to be our Savior. And and as good as some of those things can be in many ways, there is a Savior who has that promise, that hope, that determination for us. A Savior who is, again the words present tense come to mind, who is, not who was, but who is. He is the same yesterday, today. You know the rest of that verse? Hebrews 13, 8? Forever. That's right. Who is, it's present tense, Christ the Lord. It means Savior and Sovereign. Christ, Savior. Lord, Sovereign. If you go back again to that message in Acts chapter 2, as Peter is, is boldly speaking to those people, He says, this one that you've crucified, this one that you've killed, this one that you've murdered, this one that you thought was in the ground to stay, this one, God has raised him up. And what does he say? He has made him both Lord, that is sovereign, and Savior for us all. A Savior is Christ the Lord. Amazing as it seems, and as many millions of people who have come and gone, who've lived and died, you can know with absolute certainty that this Savior and His coming, this beginning, this life, this promise is all about you. Angels made an announcement to some unlikely shepherds. If you were making the message, would you choose them? God did. And within that message, though, is an intended connection that ties to you undoubtedly. 
It ties to each of us individually. It ties to me. It ties to you. For unto you, unto you, you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior, your Savior, who is your Christ, who is your Lord. He is yours unto you. We're going to sing a song. Let it be a song of encouragement. Let it be a song of invitation. Perhaps there is even sitting here this morning somebody who says, I, you know, I need to respond. If you do, the opportunity is yours. Want that to be on your heart and mind if you've considered that need. If you've never put the Savior on a baptism and you're recognizing that need, I want you to recognize the value of it and to begin that step today. We can assist you in taking care of that this very day. If someone has a need to make known or something else you need to bring, please let this invitation and this opportunity be yours to come as we stand and we sing the song together.